him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Being chosen is an amazing thing. We just celebrated the birth of two children and the dedication of those kids to the families and to this church and this church to them. In a sense, they were chosen because mom and dad decided they want to have a kid. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm not sure because sometimes it's, it's a fun accident. Um, but, but kids are an amazing blessing to families. They truly are. And they're chosen now. And it's a really, really cool thing to be one of those who are chosen, to be a part of a family. My family, my brother and, sister, or and sister-in-law especially, um, made a special choice a few years ago. When they were living in Memphis, Tennessee, they became very involved with um, a similar program. I don't know if it's called Agape, Doug, but they have a, an adoption program with the Churches of Christ in Memphis. And my brother and his wife adopted three children, two little girls who were sisters, and then a couple of years later, another young lady, and have, risen, have reared them and brought them up in the church, and the kids are believers in Christ and obedient to the gospel, and it's phenomenal. And they were special because they were chosen. When I was 10 years old, my mom and dad came home one day, and they sat me and my little brother down, and they said, uh, would you be okay if we had a little girl in the family? Like, what am I going to say? No. What choice do I have in this deal, you know? Uh, but in a couple of days, my mother came home, and she wasn't pregnant at the time. She came home with a little baby girl. Her name is Anne Marie. And we adopted her. It's an amazing thing to be chosen. And I want you to realize that all of us are chosen by God, the greatest of all fathers. We've all been chosen. We've all been selected. There's a passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians in the first chapter. There are a few verses of Scripture here that I want to read from Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse 3 down to verse 14. Bear with me as I read this, but it's important for us to hear it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for He chose us in Him even before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. And love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glory and grace, His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, we are the chosen ones. 
A lot of people, when they read this passage in Ephesians and they see that word predestined in there, they think, oh, see, God chose us all before the world began. He knows who's going to be saved, who's not going to be saved, so we don't have to worry about it because now it's all on God. And that isn't what this passage teaches at all. As a matter of fact, if you look closely at what Paul wrote here, what he tells us is the, the chosen ones are those who have put their hope in Christ. And unless I'm mistaken, you and I get to decide. We get to choose individually if we put our hope in Christ. God didn't make you hope in Christ. He didn't make you believe that Jesus is the Christ. And God did not cause you to hear a message and believe it for what it is. All of us hear things in the world today, don't we? There's all kinds of fake news going on, right? I don't know what fake news is, but there's a lot of talk about fake news, okay? We hear a lot of things. Do you believe it all? <laughs> Appropriately, no. We don't believe it all. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in the world. I don't believe it all. That's the world we live in. Has that changed in the last umpteen, hundred thousand millions, gazillions of years or however many? No. From the very first reflection of conversation that we have in the Bible, where there's this person called Satan, the serpent, speaking to this woman called Eve, there was some conversation exchanged. And guess what? There was some partial truth in that and some not partial truth in that. And there was some misperception and misconception and misunderstanding. And all of a sudden we live in a world full of sin. God didn't choose us individually to be his person. He chose us because we put our hope in Christ. He chose us because we heard a message of truth. And not only did we hear a message, but we decided to believe it to be true. We are the chosen ones. And so when you think about the, the fact of what God has done for us in Christ, when you consider all that he's called us to do, what is our response to being chosen? Now that you're in the family, now what do you get to do? There are three little girls. Well, only two of them now because one of them got married. She took another man's name. But there are three little girls who came into the Kenneth and Tammy Bush family a few years ago who had a different expectation of what life was going to be all about. Two of them were brought in off the street. They were living in a car with their mother. The other came to them from a recent hospital stay, a new birth, from a mother who was addicted to all kinds of drugs and whose father was in jail. But when those three little girls came into the family, there was a different level and a different kind of expectation upon their lives now that they lived with a guy that I know well who's called Ken. He's my brother. And if they think I'm strict and stern, you should meet him. Because he's just like my dad. I'm more like my mom. Go to the next slide. Our being chosen has given us some amazing benefits. First of all, we have this deposit, this individual, this entity called the Holy Spirit that guarantees our inheritance. Isn't that, isn't that a cool thing? I mean, when you think about being a chosen member of a family, wouldn't it be nice to be a member of a really, really, really super wealthy family and when somebody died in the family, you were going to get all the money? Now, maybe that's happened to some of you. Maybe not. But isn't it a nice thing? Wouldn't it be a nice thing to happen? That when someone passes, you get all the money, you get the inheritance, you get all the stuff. 
Well, I have some better news than that for you. Because you have accepted Christ, because you heard the message, you believed it, you put your hope in Jesus because of those things, you and I have been given a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And that deposit guaranteeing our inheritance is called the Holy Spirit. Few of you in this room have bought houses in the past. Maybe you're in the process of buying one now. But when you and I make a transaction where we're going to purchase real estate, typically there is a part of that transaction that's called the earnest money check. You know what I'm talking about? That's when you write a check for several thousand dollars that is your guarantee to the seller that you're going to follow through with that transaction and you truly are going to make the very, very best of efforts to close on the house and purchase the real estate so that it becomes yours and they get the cash from the sale, right? And guess what happens if you default on your side of the deal? Technically, you lose the earnest deposit and they get to keep your money. You and I have a deposit from God that is called the Holy Spirit. That is His deposit. It is His, His earnest money deposit to us that says, for those of you who have heard the message, for those of you who have put your hope in Christ, for those of you who have believed the message of truth, for those of you who have washed away your sins, for those of you who have done those things, guess what? You're now in the chosen family. And guess what? Now I'm going to give you a deposit that guarantees that regardless of what may happen in the world and happen in your life, in the end, you have a piece of real estate waiting for you. And God doesn't just give you a little piece of real estate. You and I have a mansion. We sing the song sometimes, Here I labor and toil. As I look for a home. You know the song. There's a mansion in heaven now waiting for me. I'll take the broom closet because I'm suspecting that the broom closet in a heavenly mansion is good enough for me. I live on a boat. So I'm good with this Holy Spirit being my deposit guaranteeing me. I'm good with being this chosen one of God because I know that that deposit guarantees that my home in heaven is assured. Some years ago, I was in college and I was traveling with a group from the, from the little college that I went to and we were traveling through Op, Alabama. Any of you ever heard of Op, Alabama? It's a small little hole in the ground in South Alabama, not too far from Dothan. We're traveling through, it's late at night on a Sunday night. We're returning from a little engagement that we had done and we're traveling through the city and Al Jackson is driving the van. He was the choral director and all of a sudden the blue lights come on and we get pulled over. And apparently Al was traveling a little fast through this little town of Op, Alabama than he should have been driving. And so the officer came up to the driver's side window and Al rolls the window down and on the side of the bus, the side of the van, it said Alabama Christian College. And the officer being the witty person that he was, he said, uh, are you a Christian? Because you're driving a Christian college bus. <laughs> and Al said, yes, sir, I am. He said, and then the officer asked this question. He said, do you realize that you were speeding? And Al said, well, sir, honestly, he said, I didn't realize I was speeding. I didn't really know how fast I was going. He said, well, let me tell you, you are. And you were. And then he asked this question. Totally off the subject, but he asked this question. Mr. Jackson, when you die, will you go to heaven? And I'll never forget his response. I hope so. And being the witty officer that he was, 
The witty officer says, well, I don't know where you go to church, but the church I go to tells me I know I'm going to be saved. And he's proceeded to write out the ticket. <laughs> if I have placed my hope and trust in Christ, if I have believed the message, if I have washed away my sins and called upon the name of the Lord, guess what? When I die, I know where I'm going. There's not a question about it. I have a deposit that guarantees my piece of real estate in heaven. It's mine. It's mine. And no one, not even the devil himself, can take that from me. It's mine. And guess what? You have one too. We are God's chosen people because we have believed the message of truth. We've placed our faith and trust and hope in Christ. We are His chosen people. And as a result, we have an expectation. We have a way that we should live. Our Father calls us to do certain things. And the certain things that He calls us to do are these handiworks that He's created from the beginning of time for us to do. Which brings us full circle back to this conversation about disciples. Because you and I are to be disciples of Christ. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And being fishers of men is being engaged in all of these good works, these handiworks that God created from the beginning that we could do. And it's not preaching and teaching. Those are nice. But truly, most of us aren't teachers and preachers. And God hasn't called us to be. But what he has called us to be are people who do good works. He's called us to be people who love other folks. He's called us to be people who understand how to have a, an empathetic and sympathetic heart at times. He's called us how to feed people who are hungry and put clothes on people's backs who don't have any clothes and to take care of the needy. He's called us even, he's even called us to reprove and rebuke and correct one another sometimes when we kind of wander off on our own so that we can bring one another back. God has called us to do these works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. So when do you do this? Next slide. When do you do this? Well, basically you do it all the time. Because the amazing thing about what Peter teaches us in chapter 2 and verse 9 is he says, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, so that we may declare his praises. I remember I was in college, sophomore year, maybe junior year. I don't remember which one. Anyway, I had this guy who was a teacher, Jerry Jones. Some of you know Jerry. He used to teach at Harding. He's a great guy. He was a good friend of mine. So I had to do this sermon exposition on Romans chapter 15. Have any of you read Romans 15 lately? There's just not much there. I mean, from a personal perspective, as a preacher, you look at Romans 15, it's a bunch of salutary stuff, and it's like, man, what am I supposed to do with this? But I had to exegete this whole passage, and I had to do all this fun stuff for this class, and I stumbled across an expression in there that Paul made when he was writing to the church in Rome. And he says this in Romans 15, and verse 15. I've written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to minister, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest or performing the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. And when I read that, man, I just like, whoa, 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 whoa. What in the world 
is Paul talking about when he says, I am ministering as a priest, I'm doing the priestly duties. And it started me on this journey that lasted for years and years, even after I left college. But it started me on this long journey about what in the world does it mean for me to be a priest? So the best way I could figure out how to do that was to go back and look and really see what priests used to do. Because if you want to know what a priest does, you might want to study the priesthood just a little bit, right? So I went back and I looked through the Old Testament and I looked in the book of the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and I looked there and I studied and I watched and I, and, I, and I came to understand a couple of things about being a priest. Number one, if you're a priest, you're always a priest. There's not a time when you're not a priest. Now, you may be called on to go to the temple to do certain things and you have a schedule, kind of like we have a schedule here where you're going to do the announcements this week and you're going to do the prayer this week and I'm going to do the sermon this week and... We, they, they had schedules and things to do, but the reality was when they're a priest, they're a priest. And there's not a time that they're not a priest. And then when you look at the, what they had to do at the temple, there's some really cool things that happen in the temple. Number one, there's always a priest that's there to receive the offering of someone who may bring it to them, however late at night or early in the morning it is, because something has happened in their life for which they need to make an animal or sacrificial offering. And so there's always a priest there ready to receive Whatever it is that a person brings in. And then there's another thing that the priest does. Somebody's got to keep the fires burning. And you may be thinking, wow, that's not very hard. Well, it rains over there. Did you know it rains over there? Someone has to always keep the fires burning. And so the fact of the matter is a priest is constantly in the business of being a priest. You and I are a royal priesthood. We are chosen of God. We are the priests in the kingdom of God today. Now, we don't bring animal sacrifices in here. But Paul gives us the answer to that. It's back in chapter 12. And most of you could probably quote this verse of Scripture, but in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When Paul writes that, what he's doing is he's laying for us the groundwork to help us understand that, guys, we're a priest all the time. We're constantly living in a state of spiritual worship to God. There's never a time that you're not in front of God. And there's never a time when you and I are not engaged in inviting others to join in the sacrificial living of our lives to God. When was the temple destroyed in Jerusalem? Anybody remember the year? 70 A.D., give or take a day or two. <clears throat> Do you realize that after the destruction of the temple, it became the practice of the rabbis to teach all of the Jewish people who were in that area of the world, no longer will we offer all animal sacrifices because we have no temple wherein to do the sacrifice. So from this time forward, the sacrifice that we will now make is our own blood and our own fat from our own bodies. Does that sound familiar to you? You see the connection with what they started teaching and what Paul is teaching in Romans? It is ourselves, it is us. We are now the sacrifice. We are now the one that is bringing ourselves to God. And the only time that you and I are not engaged in that sacrificial living is when we've lived too many birthdays and we don't have any more. And we lie in rest waiting for that guaranteed piece of real estate. So as you and I go through our lives, we are disciples. We are men and women who are chosen of God. 
who have been called to hear a message that we have believed and we have embraced. You go to the next slide. Nope, stay there. You're on the last one. Thank you. Way to read my mind. You and I are called to be disciples all the time. We are called to be a living sacrifice all the time. We are called to be priests all the time. We are chosen because we heard a message and placed our hope there. We are chosen because we believed in Him. We are chosen because we accepted His call to live holy lives. And now we live as ministering priests making sacrifices daily. Not only on our behalf, but on the behalf of others so that they may hear the message. Paul wrote in chapter 15, I work in this, in this priestly ministry so that I may offer the Gentiles up. And it's all about bringing them to an understanding of the message. Guys, that's what we do. That's how we live. I was in Phoenix on Wednesday. I had dinner with a couple. The young man I know, he works for me in our company and I've known him for some time. And his girlfriend I never met until Wednesday evening at dinner. Heard about her because he talks about her some and it's always good conversation. So we're at dinner. And she, for whatever reason, starts talking about a sister that she has who for years is a drug addict. She was living on the streets. She's in the roughest part of Phoenix. They haven't seen her for a long, long time. They don't know where she's at, really. They don't know what's going on in her life. They just know that she's on the street. She's using drugs. She's addicted. She can't figure out how to get her life back together. And a few months ago, whatever happened, I don't know, but she came to her senses, and she got clean. And she's sober, and she's not using. And we talked about that for a few minutes. And we talked about her sister working as a translator for the guy that works with me because he doesn't speak Spanish, but she does. And I told him, I said, look, I said, we can't get her licensed because she's got too much stuff, too much baggage, but we can definitely use her as a translator. And I encouraged him to use her. And, she, and, and the sister that I'm having dinner with, she said, what if she does something wrong? I'm like, it's okay. And I told her stories of people that I've worked with over the years who had the same kinds of problems she's got with her sister, who do really, really well for a while. And then for some reason, they self-destruct. They do something and they fall off the wagon, as the old proverbial saying goes, and they go back into their world of whatever it was. And then, God willing, they come out of that. And I told her stories about people that I work with over the years who've gone through those challenges. But in those times of sobriety and cleansed lives, they came to know Jesus. And I don't know if she goes to church or not, the gal that I'm having dinner with. But I shared with her an expression of Jesus that I hold very dear and near to my heart. And it says simply this. The wounded reed I will not break, and the smoldering wick I will not snuff out. Because you see, the only difference in that young lady who's now clean and sober, the only difference in her and me 
or her and you or her and anyone else that's in the family of God is simply this. Her sins are really obvious. I mean, if you get drunk and you do stupid stuff or if you go off and you get high on drugs and you do crazy wild stuff that gets you thrown in jail, those are really obvious sins. But the only difference in her and me is you don't see all my stuff. But if you think for a minute that I don't do stupid stuff, after service, she's right here, her name is Lynn, corner her and ask her a couple of things about me and you'll get the, you'll get the scoop. That's the only difference in me and her. Her stuff is obvious. Mine isn't so obvious. But God has called us to be disciples in a world where we reach people. Some with very, very obvious challenges. Some with stuff we'll never know. But God knows. And in the casual conversation, in the purposeful, casual conversation, in the process of building and developing and, and, and growing in relationship with people who are all around you, guess what comes out? Life comes out. And when life comes out, you and I, who are the chosen ones, who have a home waiting, a guarantee, when life comes out, we have the message of hope. Because we placed our trust in him. And you and I have the ability and the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility because we have a new father who has an expectation of us. We have a responsibility to share the message of hope. Paul writes somewhere in the Bible, he says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Are you ready? Are you prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you? That is discipleship. That is being in the family. That is being chosen by God. He didn't predestine you to go to heaven or hell. You can go to hell if you want to. You can. If you want to go, go ahead and go on. Nobody's stopping you from going to hell. But if you want to go to heaven, you have to make a decision that I will believe the message. I will believe that Jesus is the hope, that he is the truth, and I will believe in him so much that I'm willing to die. And when you die is when you go in here. This is a baptistry. And when you go in there, you show the whole world that you died. And when you come out of there, you have a new life. And that new life is built on hope and trust in Jesus, who is the Son of God, who gave his life as a ransom for us all. So my question, will you be a disciple of Jesus? Will you be chosen? Will you accept the responsibility of being his child in a lost and broken world and extend hope and a message of truth to people wherever you go as often as you can. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason and the hope that is in you. Be prepared. We're going to sing a song here now that Skeeter's going to come and lead us. And I invite you as we sing this song, why did my Savior come to earth, to consider that question. Why did he come here? Well, let me tell you a secret. He came here because of you.
And you came here because of everyone that you're going to see this week. And you never know when or how or why someone is going to cross your path this week so that you can share just a little bit, just a little bit of the hope that you have. Let's encourage one another if we can pray with you, be with you. If you would like today to die to yourself, to live in Christ, this baptistry is prepared. I think the water's even warm. And we can bring you into a new life today. Let's stand and sing the song. Skeeter, come and lead us as we stand together. My Savior comes to work.